0: Morning, Church. Morning. <clears throat> well, today we're continuing our series in Matthew and we're we'll looking at Matthew seventeen today. And Matthew seventeen is all. About restoration and reclaiming God's kingdom here on the earth. You know, He gave it to us way back in the Garden of Eden. And then Eve was tricked by Satan, and Adam went along with the whole thing. And Satan just moved in and made a mess of things. If you don't think so, just look at the news tonight. And so we have to realize that God, Jesus went to the cross, He didn't just go there to redeem humanity, He went there to redeem all things, all things. And so that's what this chapter is about. So let's have a prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for your holy word, a sword of the Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring it to faithful men who transcribed it. We have it today, Lord, your last will and testament. And so we invite you, Spirit of the living God, to come and minister life to us from the word of God. That we might be changed by your word. That we might be more like Jesus when we leave than we were when we came in. Just because we sat under your word and sat in your presence as we worshiped you. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. So there's just 27 verses in this chapter, so we're gonna I'm gonna try to do it verse by verse. And I'll read the first three verses and then we'll talk about them. So Matthew 17, verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Well, this is really pretty amazing. Of course, Peter, James, and John were part of the inner circle, uh, those that were closest to Jesus. And when it says in verse 2 that he was transfigured, Um, literally, transfigured. That means he was changed, his form was changed. Um, It was like a metamorphosis. And other places in the Bible, um, it denotes a spiritual transformation. Well, right here it's talking, it's indicating a visible transformation, kind of like the caterpillar and the butterfly. Visibly transformed. Amen? That's what it's talking about. Now remember, the context here is all about restoration and reclaiming the kingdom of God. So this transformation, transfiguration, is Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. Uh, This is before that happened. But having these close disciples there with him and having this happen was telling them that um, this is affirming the essential glory of Jesus, the restoration, and the reclaiming of his glory. Remember, he took his cloak off and laid it down when he humbled himself and became a human being. And He operated just like you and I in the Spirit. All those miracles He did and everything were all done by the power of the Spirit of God. And So, because He's going to be the firstborn from the dead, this transformation was telling them, was showing them of His glory. They were having an awful time believing that Jesus would have to suffer and die on a cross. And that there would be victory in that. They just couldn't comprehend that. You know, he kept telling them about it, and he'd be raised on the third day. And in their mind, the resurrection was at the end of the world. And so they just couldn't comprehend all this. So he's got his inner circle with him, and he's trying to get through to them how this is going to work. And in verse 3, it says that Moses and Elijah appeared to them. Now, Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophet. And by their appearance in this open vision, it's saying that the law and the prophets approve of Jesus' redemptive mission of redeeming all things back to himself not just humankind, okay? What's so amazing is Moses had been gone for 1,700 years. (laughs) And Elijah never died. He'd been living in heaven for a 1,000 years. All of a sudden, these guys are there with Jesus. And Peter, James, and John, they see this. I mean, think about it. If you were there, this is like the most awesome experience they ever had. <clears throat> Jesus was trying to get the disciples to see that his redemptive victory was in his suffering, death, and resurrection. In verse 4, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. There's been all kinds of things said about that verse. And a lot of people have criticized Peter because he was one who would just speak his out before he thought what he said and those kinds of things. But I think the simplest explanation is they were just so overcome by all of this. Um, Elijah and and Moses being there and Jesus being transformed, his appearance, Um, that they just wanted this to go on for a while. I think Peter just wanted uh, to prolong the visit. And then in verse 5 to 8, the father gets involved. Remember, they were having a lot of trouble understanding how This suffering and death could turn out to be victory. To verse 5. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of that cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. That's a command. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, and they saw no one but Jesus only. So the affirmation of the Heavenly Father of Jesus' redemptive mission commands the disciples to accept Jesus' instructions about his suffering, death, and resurrection. They just didn't want to accept that. The disciples were having so much trouble with that, as I said, and they just could not see the victory in that. By Jesus paying the price for sin, that was what was blocking the restoration. Jesus opened the door wide for the restoration of all things, everything. Not just our redemption, but the redemption of everything. Back to Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, it's a great thing to have a mountaintop experience. We've all had, you know, maybe not an open vision like this and saw Elijah and Moses, but some kind of a mountaintop experience where you've had a special time with the Lord and He's spoken some things to you or um, maybe some of you have seen angels or He's even appeared to you. Um, these kinds of things. But we're all called uh, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. See, what the disciples didn't get was it's not a defeat for you to suffer persecution for your faith. When Jesus was being assaulted by the world, he really was overcoming the world. It was God's plan all along. He was; uh, they were playing right into God's plan. And uh, you know, God's got a plan for this world today. <clears throat> so it's not a defeat, really. Um, he was overcoming the world. And then if you look at uh, Romans. Chapter 8, verse 36 and following. Because of his suffering death and resurrection, this is what's happened. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. Hmm, that's a good place to shout right there. We're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You now he said he would never leave us or forsake us. Hallelujah. So because of what he did, you and I are more than conquerors. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have his word, we have his spirit, we have authority, we have the power of attorney to use his name, etc., etc. All right, verse 9. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So here we can see that the secrecy charge is suspended after the resurrection when others will more fully understand Jesus and his redemptive mission to restore all things to himself. So then they had a question in verse 10. The disciples ask him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So then Jesus answers it in 11 and 12. Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. There it is. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him and did, not, and did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. <clears throat> so Jesus is just answering their question. And in verse 13, says, then the disciples understood um, that he sh- spoke to them of John the Baptist. And the prophecy about John is in Malachi 4. And I'm just going to read the last few verses of the Old Covenant as it's separated. Malachi 4.4 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in the Horb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest they come and strike the earth with a curse. So what Jesus was saying here is that that prophecy was fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist. Okay? Then it looks like, in uh, verse 14, it looks like a complete shift from what we're talking about here. If you just read it on the surface. Because now he's going to heal a boy. So let's read verses 14 through 21. But it's not a complete shift, as you'll see. And when they came to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeled down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, suffers severely, for he is... Often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. You can almost hear um, the disgust in his voice. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? Jesus didn't mix any words. So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind goes out, does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So Jesus, they couldn't cast out the demon. Jesus cast him out. He restored him The healing, cured him of an epileptic um, condition, which is a terrible condition. If you've ever seen anybody have um, one of those things, those epileptic seizures, they're scary, especially if you aren't familiar with them. Um, and if the disciples weren't familiar with them, in their defense... You can see how their faith might have been challenged when they saw that kind of thing happening. I don't know if if it was the manifestation of that or not. But if there was, it certainly would have, you know, said, whoa, kind of a thing. But Jesus didn't have any trouble with that. Jesus just cast out the demon and restored him. The disciples wanted to know why they couldn't cast out the demon. And Jesus said it was because of their unbelief. The word unbelief there means faithlessness or disbelief or even disobedience. Because we're commanded, he gave us a measure of faith. We're supposed to be living by it, using it all the time. And so we're going to come back to that verse in a minute. Let's just do verse 21 because I want to spend a little time on verse 20. Verse 21 says, However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So what that tells us is there's different kinds of demons, different levels, different power. And this kind just goes out only by prayer and fasting. We have no account of Jesus going away and fasting for a week and praying and coming back and casting out the demon. No. He just cast it out like that. So that tells us that Jesus led a prayer and fasted life. He didn't have to go and fast and pray somewhere. He had a lifestyle of fasting and praying. And the disciples apparently did not. And so he could just cast out that demon. Of course, he's in constant contact with the Father. And so he knew exactly what to do and how to do it. And the disciples weren't there yet, I don't think. So let's go back to verse 20. As I said, he said it was because of their unbelief. In other words, their faithlessness or their disbelief or their disobedience. And so I asked Jesus for an illustration to help us. And I said, Lord, we just need to understand faith better because faith is a, you know, it's how God designed everything to work. And it's the currency of the kingdom. If you have faith, you can get anything you need in the kingdom. You can have a lot of money, but you can't buy stuff from the kingdom with it. But if you've got faith in God, you can get what you need. Amen? And he demonstrates that a little later on. So he gave me this illustration. And I've got to scribble down here. I'm going to try, try to give it to you. Um, he said a small seed is placed in your garden. And a seed is just dormant. When your faith is in you, it's kind of the same way. If you're not using it, it's just there, dormant. You're the container for it. And the seed contains a plant. You just can't see it. And so it's like a small seed, he said. And when it's planted, God changes the nature of the seed. The seed absorbs nutrients from the soil and water, and it grows in strength. The power of life surges through that seed. Only God knows how that can work. So the power of life surges through that seed and it becomes a plant. He changes the nature of this dormant seed into a plant. Okay? So the plant sprouts roots, and it absorbs those nutrients from the ground and water, and even a mountain of earth can't stop it from pushing upward and doing what it's designed to do. That plant is going to grow. If it's a tomato plant, it's going to be a tomato plant. If it's a stalk of corn, it's going to be a stalk of corn. The Lord said, "Our faith is like that seed. When faith is released, in other words, when you speak it, when you pray it, it is planted. Then it's watered with continued prayer. And you keep on asking, keep on seeking. And faith is fed, it gets its nutrients from the word of God. Just like your body needs food to function, faith needs the Word of God to be strengthened. Amen. And it takes on. A different nature, just like that seed did, became a plant. As you're watering that seed with prayer, the nature of a miracle is in the making. Next thing you know, your prayer is answered. You know. So I have one question for you today What, what is the mountain in your life today? the loss of a job because it is virus business some other kind of loss going to be sickness I've been battling something all week some kind of infection it's terrible and for no reason um, other than this word was not supposed to be preached probably the enemy doesn't like it well you will We'll get target him a little later. Maybe it's just a wounded relationship. And I'm telling you, friends, if you plant your faith in God's ability to fix it, even if your faith is small as a mustard seed, it will grow. It will grow. Let me say it another way. Faith that may seem small and weak to you still can accomplish humanly the humanly impossible whatever your insurmountable problem is in the natural it's mission possible for God let me tell you as you plant your faith on the promises of his word they have to be planted in good soil so you want to plant them on the promises so as that natural seed is strengthened by the nutrients in the soil and the water, so your faith is strengthened as you feed it on the Word of God. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We all know that scripture. But what we, we miss sometimes is that hearing is present tense. In other words, warned, can't live Sunday on last Sunday's faith. I have to have fresh manna every day. It's hearing. Faith comes by hearing, not by what you've heard. It's a continuous thing. We have to continuously feed our faith like we continuously feed our bodies. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and you've heard me say this before, when you're praying and releasing your faith and planting it, pray the promise, not the problem. God already knows our problems. Pray the answer, not the anxiety. Pray the word, not the worry. I'm telling you, the word of God is quick and active and powerful. You want to pray in faith? Pray the word of God. I want to read you a quote from Peter J. Lightheart's book, Jesus as Israel. And we're still talking about why they couldn't cast out this demon and um, all of that. So this is what he had to say. The nine disciples are unsuccessful, but they needed not have been. Even the smallest faith, if it is true faith in Jesus and the Father of Jesus is virtually omnipotent. Nothing shall be impossible to you, Matthew seventeen twenty. But there is a puzzle here, that's what I mentioned before. How can Jesus rebuke the disciples for little faith and then tell them that little faith is all they need to perform everything? Doesn't seem like that calculates. Is their faith even smaller than a mustard seed? Or is Jesus talking about different sorts of faith? They have enough faith to stick with Jesus, to confess Jesus, to know that Jesus is very, very special, but they are called to a greater faith, a different quality of faith. This greater faith depends on getting the insight that Jesus teaches them as they descend the mountain. They have to have faith that Elijah has come to restore all things. Faith that the Son of Man will restore all things through his cross resurrection on the third day. So that was his take on that. And I think it's a good one because Jesus was trying to get through to him that he was going to restore all things. And this is what it took to do it. And they were having lots of trouble with it. So then Matthew seventeen twenty-two 22 to 20, 23 says this, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And they will kill him, and the third day he will rise up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. <laughs> so Jesus was still trying to get the disciples to understand the necessity of his suffering, death and resurrection. They had the timing all messed up. says so they were exceedingly sorrowful. It means that they were violently violent, or vehemently, a high degree of distress, heaviness, grief. They were still looking, many of them, for a natural kingdom to be set up on the earth. So then, Matthew 24, this is, you know, if you're just reading it on the surface, this is, looks like it's out of place as well. But all of this has to do with the restoration of all things. So when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does the teacher not pay the temple tax? And he says, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes, from their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. In other words, they didn't have to. Pay a tax. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. Some of the scholars think that that was worth about 64 cents. Taxes have went up a bit. (laughs) So, Jesus is demonstrating that uh, planting and releasing faith for meeting everyday needs. See, we're just supposed to live by faith. He didn't have the money. Just go catch a fish. And the money will be in his mouth. Go pay the tax. You can get anything if you have faith in God. So, the restoration of all things takes place one situation at a time. One soul is won back to God at a time. We were all supposed to be His in the first place until the garden. We've all been born in the enemy's camp ever since then. One healed body at a time, it's, the kingdom is taken back. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. And the only way that's going to happen is if the church rises up. <clears throat> so let me finish this up. Then he says he didn't want to offend them. <laughs> Jesus offended somebody every day. I mean, everywhere he went, he was offending a religious somebody. The Sanhedrin was always after him, trying to trap him, trying to entrap him and do something, say something that they could uh, prosecute him for. But here's the grace of God. Offend them means to entrap, to trip up, to stumble, or to entice to sin. You know, they were doing enough sinning on their own Jesus didn't want to entice them to sin anymore. Amen. So grace upon grace upon those who are trying to trip him up, he on purposely did not try to trip them up. So had Jesus refused to pay the tax, he would have been branded profane and irreligious. And that would have just added to the confusion of what he was trying to convince his disciples of. And, you know, you would think if the coin is going to be in the mouth of a fish, and Jesus knew that, he would want to get a very large net and a bunch of people and cast it out and maybe get in a hundred fish. Your chances are a lot better that one of them will have a coin in his mouth. Of course, he's walking hand in hand with the Father. He says, just sew in a hook. So one hook. The fish takes the hook. Peter pulls them out. Takes the valuable coin worth 64 cents and goes and pays the tax for the two of them. So the tax was 32 cents apiece. So he was just demonstrating how to use their faith on an everyday basis to restore things back to the kingdom. Hallelujah. So I have some closing thoughts from uh, Peter Lighthart and also from a guy named Warren Henrikson. First I'll give you uh, Mr. Lightheart's... It's not just redemptive restoration of humanity, but of all things. It was begun by John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. It was brought to completion by Jesus and his suffering, death, and resurrection. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, he said it is finished. Everything needs to be done for the redemptive of all things is finished. Then it was begun to be fulfilled in reality by the disciples in real life. And it's still happening today. That's the goal um, and ministry of our calling. We are called to a faith that restores creation, that reclaims creation for God. We're called for that kind of faith. We're called to a faith in Christ, the Lord of all, to participate in his redemptive mission. Hallelujah. And I'll give you some of, some of my thoughts in closing. So you're here today, you may think that your life is small, but if you're living by faith, you're part of the biggest restoration project in the history of mankind. The biggest restoration project in the history of mankind, if you're living by faith. You're a participant in the restoration and reclaiming of God's damaged world. Who messed it up? The devil did. Because we have allowed him to do it. He's a created being just like you and I. Thousands of years ago, these are my thoughts and then we're done. God told the people to go up, people of Israel to go up and occupy the land. But those that were in the land didn't just walk away. They had to fight for it. They had to take it back. Amen. And he's still trying to get us, his people, to reclaim and occupy the earth. God gave it to Adam and Eve, and you know the story. And the devil moved in and made a mess of things. You know, as I said earlier, just watch the news tonight. Psalm 24.1 says this. It says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness the world and all those who dwell therein. Everything is God's. Listen. Jesus took Satan's legal right away, all his legal rights away, on resurrection morning. Missed another good place to shout right there. You know, he gave us dominion when he made the earth and everything in it. And then we gave it away to the enemy and allowed him to come in and make a mess of it. Yes, we allowed him to do it. Little by little. Just look at politics today. Gee. It's not the people, it's the power that's behind them, the forces that are behind them. But he took those rights away on resurrection morning. He redeemed them back to us. Hallelujah. Jesus put us in charge then of enforcing enforcing Satan's defeat. We are the ones that are supposed to enforce his defeat until Jesus returns. And that's the hang up. Because so much of the church is waiting for God to do something to fix this mess. And God is waiting for us to take His Word, to take the name of Jesus, to take the authority that we have over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and to restore and reclaim back His kingdom here on earth. Hallelujah. Reclaiming the dominion that God has restored to us through Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. The devil's already been defeated, as you know. He can only do what we allow him to get away with. (laughs) You know, we've just allowed him to do all these things. The church, God's people, I'm not putting a heavy on you, I'm just telling you some facts. That's the way it is. And so it's time that we um, take the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, take back some of these things in the name of Jesus and the authority is given us, and just kick the devil and his crew out of the affairs of the world. You know, many times we have a lot of pernades of our own, friends, family, you know, and all of that, and we concentrate on those things while the world is uh, becoming a mess. So there's a balance in all of this. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I better stop there, I'll get. So let's just pray quickly. And then we'll go to communion. And Tom is going to come and and do that as I'm not 100% today, so I'm just going to go sit down. Now let's have a prayer quick, just a short one. Lord, we just thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You're so gracious to us that you have given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word, your spirit. We thank you that you've given us the power of returning, as it were, to use the name of Jesus. We thank you that you've given us authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Lord, let us not just be containers for these things, but let your people awaken and rise up and take their rightful place and cast down all these things that are messing the world up and kick the devil and his crew out of the affairs of the world and restore kingdom holiness and righteousness Injustice to the world system. Thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.